Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC senior congressional correspondent Mary Bruce. And Jonathan Carl is sleeping off the long Asia hangover. Uh, is he off of a flight? I thought he was still uh, uh, snoozing somewhere over an ocean. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. It was quite a trip, though. My Bruising. God, that was that was a lot of days to be out on the road. And uh, President Trump is back. He is he is back at the White House starting to engage. And it, it taught us, Mary, that the president actually doesn't have to be in Washington for huge political maelstroms to develop. This was a pretty eventful couple of weeks ago. It, it, things do go on, even in his absence. Um, and, and some by his own, uh, shall we say, tweeting, moving things along. But but, but there was a lot, of, a lot of activity here in Washington over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and we want to talk about the big story, which is Roy Moore and the increasing isolation around him. Um, it's been less than a week since the story broke, and uh, we know... Uh, that there's been only evidence that corroborates the accusers in this case. Uh, we're seeing a dwindling number of defenders uh, for for Roy Moore. More and more prominent Republicans coming out and saying outright he should just go. No more qualifiers, no more if-trues as the evidence has has piled up. But Roy Moore not showing any signs of of, uh, of, of relinquishing his control of, uh, of this Senate seat. In fact, the message coming from Republican leaders in Washington and the message coming out from uh, those on the ground in Alabama seems to be polar opposites. Yeah. I mean, you have seen this watershed of top Republicans, even those who previously at one point supported Roy Moore, endorsed him, coming out saying enough is enough, he needs to step aside. And Roy Moore is simply digging in, it seems, and his supporters not showing any sign of backing down. And it creates a real big problem for Republicans. I mean, we have been talking over and over again about, you know, there are various options to try and and solve a problem like Roy Moore. And (laughs) there aren't a lot of uh, good options, it looks like, for Republicans right now. We also have big headlines we're going to get to on the tax bill now that they're including health care and and also on the Russia investigation. We're going to talk to Congressman Adam Schiff, who's the top Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee in a few moments. But Mary, you're you're in the halls every day. What was different about this story and the way that it broke and the substance of it that made it different than a typical political story where everyone kind of lines up red team or blue team. This was this became very bipartisan very quickly that Roy Moore's just got to go. Well, and from the get go, I mean, it was minutes from when that Washington Post story broke to when I was talking to top Republicans who said and at this point it was if true, but who said if true, he should step aside. I mean, the the condemnation of these allegations was immediate and resounding. And let's be honest, a lot of Republicans to begin with weren't big fans of Roy Moore's to, you know, already to begin with. Um, But it really has created this huge problem for Republicans, which is, you know, let's remind everyone of the big picture here. This is a key Senate seat. Republicans lose this seat, they will just have a one vote majority. But these allegations are so damning and so horrific, to be quite honest, that Republicans simply cannot stand by this. They have no choice. Uh, and, and the fact that you've seen Republicans leaders now come out, Mitch McConnell, saying he's got to go now. You know, there there is no time for there's not going to be a big trial here. Look, the allegations are damning enough. He has to go. And that means that they're putting this seat at peril, because to launch a write-in campaign to try and uh, rally support behind another candidate, be that Jeff Sessions, whose name has been floated, or someone else, uh, that's a huge risk. And look, if Roy Moore does win, what happens then? Because he comes to a Senate where he is not well-liked. You have the majority of his colleagues who have now blasted him. It's very clear they don't want him here. Uh, would they refuse to seat him? It would be an unprecedented move. But in some ways, look, if Roy Moore wins and they unseat him, Republicans would still have a chance to hold on to that seat. Yeah, there's losing one seat, and then there's losing all moral authority exactly. and, and having someone in your ranks who 
would be used as a proxy for, for saying this is a party that's flatly out of touch. It strikes me that because it happened to coincide with this cultural moment after mm-hmm. the Harvey Weinstein story, which is it just produced a, a deluge of individuals who have been exposed through this, that it had more potency had this emerged in, in, in a vacuum. These are 30-, 40-year-old stories. It all happened a very long time ago. Uh, but there's something different about this moment. And then I think you're right to point out that Roy Moore was not a friend of these folks mm-hmm. in the first place. Uh, he, he was a controversial candidate before this, twice removed from the state Supreme Court, which could give some indication of whether he's likely to go now, because this is a guy that's been kicked off twice at the Supreme Court for defying He does orders. not give up easily on anything. No, no. And, it, it, you know, you raise the, the cultural moment that we're in, and it does come as we're seeing this, this a real shift yeah. um, in the way that America, the way that Americans respond uh, to this kind of behavior. But remember also for Republicans, it comes on the wave of those brutal losses in last week's elections when a lot of people are wondering, what does the Republican Party stand for? And to have so much attention on on a candidate who most Republicans would vehemently disagree with and say he doesn't stand for, for what we believe in, uh, that also puts added pressure on Republicans, I think, as, yeah. they, as they are looking to define their party going forward. That's a great point. And the fact that Steve Bannon and Breitbart uh, mm-hmm. have, have stayed behind him to this point anyway is some indication about the wars to come inside the Republican Party. Even Sean Hannity is signaling that he is uh, he is losing patience with the non-denial denials from Roy Moore and his camp. That'll only increase the pressure. And of course, the president was able to avoid a lot of this by being overseas. It doesn't strike me that he can avoid it any longer. No. It becomes what, what he is with the White House position was, if true, that which was the position like four or five days ago. Now he's back. And the, the very real question for them is what happens right now? And, and of course, does he get Jeff Sessions off the sidelines? Is he the one that convinces his attorney general? Yeah, the, the president, whenever he does come out and speak first, now that he's back, I assume he's, he's resting up a little bit, just like John Carl. But one <laughs> And once he's back in the full swing of things, this is going to be the first question he's got to answer is, does he agree with Republican leaders that that Roy Moore has to go? There is no if true anymore. That's right. Um, And and the the fact that Jeff Sessions name is being brought up is is a really interesting twist. Will he go back home and, and fill his former seat? Uh, you know, he was asked about it yesterday. He had an interesting response. Uh, there, you know, Mitch McConnell seems to think it's a good idea. Yeah, he's talking about uh, it. Would certainly maybe solve some other issues in this administration. Um, but uh, whether that's the route they're going to take remains to be seen. Well, as you say, Mary, Sessions was in the headlines this week. And, and one man I know that was watching him very, very closely was Congressman Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California. They're the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee. Congressman Schiff, uh, thanks for being here on Powerhouse Politics. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, and I, I want to start by asking about Jeff Sessions. Uh, I'm sure you were you were watching. Uh, take take a listen to uh, a little a little montage of some of his responses yesterday uh, before the House uh, Ju- uh, Judiciary Committee in the oversight hearing. I don't recall at this moment sitting here any such discussion. Okay, I, I don't recall it. I do not recall. I had no uh, recollection of this meeting. I don't um, recall. I do not recall such a conversation. And Congressman, as you know, each time that Jeff Sessions has been before Congress uh, over the last couple of months, we've had a slightly different story about what he did recall and what his actions actually were and what his knowledge was. What does this kind of faulty memory for the attorney general tell you about uh, about Attorney General Sessions' role in the entire Russia story as it develops? Well, one thing you can say with confidence that uh, if Senator Sessions were examining a witness before the Senate, uh, who had the same Philly recollection, uh, he would be completely indignant about it, uh, wouldn't accept it, wouldn't believe it for a minute. Uh, so he, he clearly is offering a different standard than he has held others to in the past. Uh, but I think it's part of the broader picture you see of people around the president uh, and who were involved in his campaign uh, who have very selective memories uh, about the facts 
um, of their interactions with the Russians uh, during the campaign and after the campaign. Uh, this is very much a part of that pattern. Um, no, it never happened. Then you confront them with the facts, and they are forced to acknowledge, okay, it did happen, um, but uh, but it's not significant. And then you show why it's significant, and then they say, let's investigate Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and we want to get to that in a moment. But there was another big uh, uh, new twist to the along this, this story that emerged this week, which is the direct message exchanges between Donald Trump Jr. and WikiLeaks. Uh, you came out and, and talked about this on, on Twitter as a uh, as another example of at least a willingness to solicit this information. What is the true import of uh, of this exchange from where you sit? And and are you convinced that this is the end of it? That there's no other communications between uh, the, the Trump campaign and and in those with ties to Russia? Well, I'm certainly not convinced this is the end of it by any means. And indeed, every week we learn about new contacts and new content. Uh, but I think the significance is this, and, and we have to look at it in the proper context. Uh, Donald Trump Jr., along with uh, Manafort and Kushner, take a meeting in Trump Tower on June 9th where they're offered dirt on Hillary Clinton, uh, and they communicate to the, essentially to the Kremlin through these intermediaries. They would love to get that help from the Kremlin. Uh, and the message they deliver after the meeting is, that I think is relayed back, uh, we're really disappointed in the dirt you gave us during this meeting. Um, we want more than that. Uh, only days after that discussion, uh, Julian Assange announces for the first time he has received thousands of these stolen Hillary Clinton emails, which we know were stolen by the Russians. So days after Trump Tower, uh, it appears the Russians transmit these emails uh, to Julian Assange. Uh, and now we see um, Donald Trump Jr. in private communication with WikiLeaks, uh, with this cutout of the Russians that the Russians are using to publish these documents. So it's in that context that I think these private communications are the most significant. So you mentioned the new calls for an investigation into Hillary Clinton. Let's talk a little bit about that. And just to to set this, this stage here for our listeners, back in 2010, when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, the, the State Department approved the sale of this company called Uranium One to Russia. It's a nuclear company that had donated some, some money to the Clinton Foundation. Now, the night before Jeff Sessions testified, uh, DOJ came out and announced that they might do what the president and some Republicans have said they wanted. They might open an investigation into Hillary Clinton and her foundation and these ties. I, I guess, first, Congressman, do you, do you think the timing of all this was just a coincidence? Of course not. Um, and if you look at what's already happened, uh, the White House and the Justice Department have violated uh, longstanding policy that goes back uh, to Watergate, that the White House doesn't interfere in criminal prosecutions, uh, particularly those of the political nature. Uh, they began by interfering uh, in this sense. They urged the Justice Department to lift the gag rule on a particular witness to allow Congress to reopen investigation. Uh, and that's exactly what ended up happening. Congress announced that on the basis of this action taken by the Justice Department and urged by the President, they were going to open congressional investigations of Hillary Clinton and this uranium transaction. Now you have Congress bringing pressure on the Attorney General to appoint a special counsel for the seven-year-old transaction that's already been investigated. Uh, and if they capitulate, if the Justice Department goes along with this and Sessions goes along with this, uh, it will be the obliteration of the independence of the Justice Department. Uh, we will be nothing more than the countries that we criticize, where the winning party ends up trying to prosecute the losing party. Uh, and that would be a, a tremendous step backward for our democracy. 
in, in this respect and many others, I, I really do think that the threat to our democracy right now comes less from the Russians and more from the internal damage that we're doing to ourselves. Uh, when you have not only these efforts to dismantle the independence of the Justice Department, but you have the president intervening to interview candidates for U.S. attorney in New York and in D.C., where he has businesses and legal liability, but not in places like Los Angeles and San Francisco, where they're nominating people to head the criminal division of the Justice Department, who uh, the man is the, the lawyer for Alpha Bank, the Russian Alpha Bank, that's the subject of our investigation. These efforts to erode the independence of the Justice Department are phenomenally destructive of our system of checks and balances. But, you know, Sessions yesterday didn't exactly sound like someone who was eager to appoint a special counsel to investigate Hillary Clinton, despite the fact that they they are opening this door. To play devil's advocate, though, what's the harm in looking into this again? Why not at least see where the questions go? Well, the harm is this. The whole idea of uh, reinvestigating this seven-year-old transaction um, was uh, was an idea put forward by President Trump as a way of distracting from the Russia probe. Uh, it was a political uh, gesture. Uh, and for the Justice Department now to entertain this uh, basically says we're going to consider this White House request that we investigate his vanquished rival, um, a request that is made so transparently to distract attention from the Russia probe. There's everything wrong with that. Um, I served for two years. I was dragooned into serving on this Benghazi committee, which was a partisan committee from beginning to end, and designed to prove a non-fact. And what they wanted to prove in Benghazi was that Hillary Clinton intervened deliberately with the security at this particular Benghazi consular facility, uh, and that intervention in their security resulted in the death of Americans. Now, there was never any truth to that, but we spent two years and $7 million trying to prove that untruth. Well, now they want to prove another untruth. They want to prove, despite the fact there's no evidence to suggest this, this that Hillary Clinton intervened in the multi-agency process called CFIUS to approve this transaction. Uh, and so we're going to spend time and money, uh, taxpayer dollars in Congress, trying to prove it. And they're asking the Justice Department to establish a special prosecutor to investigate something of which there's never been any evidence. And, uh, and that's um, a, a terrible uh, perversion of our system of justice. Hey, Congressman Schiff, there was another uh, item that came up yesterday in the hearing. It was the first opportunity for Jeff Sessions to uh, face questions publicly since the, the guilty plea of George Papadopoulos and also the indictments of Paul Manafort and one of his top deputies. But take a listen to what he had to say about the now infamous Papadopoulos meeting. After reading his account, and to the best of my recollection, I believe that I wanted to make clear to him that he was not authorized to represent the campaign with the Russian government or any other foreign government for that matter. But I did not recall this event, which occurred 18 months before my testimony of a few weeks ago. And I would gladly have reported it uh, had I remembered it. So memory refreshed by uh, a legal filing, by the, the guilty plea. How wrapped up is Jeff Sessions? And are you compelled by this answer as being the end of it? And is it, is it possible in your mind that Jeff Sessions himself, the attorney general, becomes a target of the, of the Mueller inquiry, given his involvement in the campaign and even potential obstruction of justice? Well, I can't comment on what uh, Bob Mueller may or may not be investigating or who he may or may not be investigating. But it certainly looks like the attorney general's memory is very select. Uh, I don't remember this interaction, but I remember an exculpatory part. 
that is, I tried to wave him off of this idea that uh, the president would meet with Putin. Um, I didn't remember this until you brought my attention to it, until you exposed the fact that it happened. But now that you have, okay, my memory is refreshed, but only insofar as it helps exonerate me. Um, that's not particularly convincing. Uh, and, of course, the Papadopoulos thing wasn't in isolation. He also discussed uh, with Carter Page on the eve of Carter Page leaving to go to Moscow, uh, Page's own trip uh, to meet with the Russians. And you have Attorney General not remembering that. You have Carter Page not remembering a lot of what he did while he was there. Not remembering who he met with, uh, saying publicly one thing and then being confronted with documentary evidence of something quite contrary. And that's a pattern we see with Jeff Sessions, with Carter Page. Uh, we see with George Papadopoulos, who initially lied to federal investigators and then ultimately uh, you know, came clean. Um, we see that with uh, Corey Lewandowski in terms of his selective memory. Uh, we see that with uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, saying... Basically, we've had no contacts with Russians, and it's outlandish and so desperate of Democrats ever suggest we did. Uh, and then we learn of all of these contacts. You have the vice president saying, oh, it's absurd to think that we had any contact with WikiLeaks or in cahoots with WikiLeaks. And we find not only Trump Jr. in contact with WikiLeaks, but uh, Cambridge Analytica in touch with uh, privately with WikiLeaks. You've got uh, Roger Stone uh, communicating privately with Guccifer II, the direct Russian cutout, as well as WikiLeaks. So this is part of a broad pattern of non-memory, selective memory, denial, uh, until confronted with the facts. Well, let's talk about the president's comments this week. He raised a lot of eyebrows when uh, over in Asia, he seemed to suggest that he sides with Vladimir Putin over the conclusion of uh, the American intelligence community, suggesting that he believes Putin when he says he did not meddle in, in our democracy. Let's take a quick listen to that. I believe that President Putin really feels, and he feels strongly, that he did not meddle in our election. Now, the president did kind of clean this up a little bit, coming out and saying that he does, that, that while that's what he thinks Putin believes, that the president himself does believe the conclusion of the U.S. intelligence community that Russia did meddle uh, in the election. But every time the president comes out and says this seems to side with Vladimir Putin in one way or another, it, of course, reignites this entire debate. But on the other hand, you could argue that the president, in some ways, it was the clearest he's been on backing the intelligence community assessment. What did you make of these comments? What did you make of the uh, follow up to these comments? And, you know, I just wonder what you're thinking every time you hear the president uh, kind of open up this this debate once again. Well, it's really you know, more of the same with this president, uh, which is he says things that are quite demonstrably untrue. He's called on it. Uh, sometimes he acknowledges it. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, but it only lasts for about an hour. Um, this is the same president who, within the same week, uh, also made the statement, well, you know, people do say that if the Russians wanted to do this, we'd never know it was them. Okay, that's a statement by the president of the United States saying, I believe those voices that are saying, if the Russians did this, they would have hidden their hand better than this, so it really wasn't the Russians. Um, and then he says, essentially, this is uh, offensive to Vladimir Putin. Uh, it's really insulting for, for me or anyone else to suggest that he would do such a thing. This is a former KGB operative we're talking about. Uh, Vladimir Putin knows darn well exactly what he did. And for the president to suggest there's some doubt about it or... Well, he strongly denied it. Um, I guess we should rest assured that 
Um, if you ask the, a Kremlin operative more than once, they can't lie in succession. Uh, it's absurd. Um, but it's a part of a, a president who doesn't put the country's interest first, much as he would like to claim to, but only puts his very narrow self-interest first. And his narrow self-interest is basically deny, obfuscate, uh, deflect when it comes to his connections with Russia and the assistance he got from the Russians during the campaign. Congressman Schiff, before we let you go, Mary and I spoke last week to your fellow Californian, uh, Tom Steyer, who, as you know, is a very expensive, uh, very big campaign to try to pressure members of Congress to support impeachment of President Trump. And uh, just today, several of your colleagues over on the House side actually filed the articles of impeachment. They include obstruction of justice, uh, undermining of the judiciary, and undermining of the freedom of the press. So these are issues that you're grappling with all the time. Uh, To your mind, is it time to talk about impeachment of President Trump? I think it's a mistake, and, uh, you know, no one has been more critical of the president, uh, particularly vis-a-vis the issues that would be involved uh, in this uh, privileged uh, resolution. Uh, But we haven't finished the investigations yet. Uh, Bob Mueller hasn't finished his work yet. And to the degree that we give the appearance of the country of being too eager to embrace this extraordinary remedy, we make it much harder down the road should the facts support uh, his removal from office. And so... I don't think it's wise uh, to do this prematurely, and I think we ought to allow the investigations to run their course, uh, and then we can decide, you know, what's the remedy uh, in light of what we have found. Um, but right now, I think to do this prematurely only feeds the argument that he makes when he goes to his rallies, which is uh, they're trying to take away your electoral victory. Um, that's the, the case that he makes to his uh, core supporters, and I don't think we should give that, uh, that kind of argument uh, any weight. Um, I think we ought to finish our investigation and then we can discuss what the repercussions are. And I know you're hard at work at that investigation at every stage. Adam Schiff, uh, Congressman from California, Democrat, and the top Democrat on the Intelligence Committee. We thank you for being here. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. When we come back after the break, we will talk about the path back for the Republican Party. Is tax reform the answer now that it also includes a repeal of Obamacare? Are you hiring? Join the over 3 million businesses that use Indeed.com for hiring. You can post a job in minutes and manage your candidates from an easy-to-use dashboard. Post your next job on the world's number one job site, Indeed.com. Here on Cape Cod, the summer is wonderful. This is a place where people leave their doors open. A killing on the Cape. There hadn't been a murder in Truro for 30 years. It was everyone's worst nightmare. Jealousy, anger, secrets, sex, and money. Believe me, everyone in this story had a motive. I couldn't imagine who could have killed her. Six heart-pounding podcasts followed the clues, the evidence, the new interviews. Listen now. And then, don't miss the explosive two-hour documentary television event, Friday night, November 24th, on ABC. Is the right man in jail? Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Ariana Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. 
So, so Mary, I think you, you hear from Congressman Schiff there um, that the, the deliberate nature of this investigation, uh, as far as the as far as the House side goes, not clear at all whether it's going to be bipartisan ultimately in their in their conclusions. But as they work this through, it, 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 the drip, drip, drip of this adding up to something, and I think Jeff Sessions at the center of so much of it. Yeah, and and that drip, drip, drip is just going to continue. I mean, look, yesterday was, what, the third time that Jeff Sessions has been on the Hill? And yeah. it may not be the last. Uh, and you noticed he, the congressman wouldn't comment on whether he thinks Mueller may be looking at this as well. But, of course, there are multiple investigations here looking at very different aspects of this. And to that point, you know, it, it's part of the reason why uh, every time the president, you know, seems to try and—, and reopen this debate about whether or not Russia meddled or not. You sort of hear this kind of collective eye roll for many on Capitol Hill because it's not a past tense problem, right? And when you look at what congressional leaders are investigating, they're squarely focused on how to prevent this from happening again. And so to to act as if, well, that's wrapped up with a bow and we're done with that um, is incredibly frustrating for a lot of lawmakers who see this as a big problem with you know, elections around the corner, something that needs to be dealt with right now. And we should note through the magic of podcasting, you actually can hear eye rolls when they are collective on Capitol <laughs> Hill. It actually happens that way. Uh, b- before we wrap things up, Mary, uh, the, the, the path back for Republicans right now is paved with tax reform. That mm-hmm. is the thing. They put all of the marbles in that basket. In fact, they just made the basket a lot bigger because they're putting health care into this as well. What is, what's your handicapping of this? Does this help advance the ball to add this whole other issue that's bedeviled them throughout 2017 and say, we're going to do tax reform, but we're also going to take a big chunk out of Obamacare at the same time? It is a really risky twofer that Senate Republicans are now hoping for by saying that as part of tax reform, they want to also move to repeal the individual mandate, that the, the key of Obamacare, the heart of Obamacare, that all Americans have insurance or pay a fine. Now, They've tried this before. We've seen this. We've covered this for months. It's failed before. But the president wants to give this another go. Republican leaders are now on board. So it's in the bill. And it does serve a very practical purpose in this bill. It helps them save money. It helps them save a lot of money, more than $300 billion. The flip side, of course, is that it could also leave 13 million more Americans uninsured over the next decade. So the question is whether Republicans who opposed this before are going to stand in the way of it now or whether their desire to get a win on tax reform is going to outweigh uh, their concerns about moving forward and repealing the individual mandate, especially when there is no replacement that appears to be coming right behind it. It's a go big or go home strategy. And, Very. Uh, they, they, time the Republicans would try to be big this year, they failed. Uh, taxes may be the one, but it, adding this is, an, is a new wrinkle because you get some conservatives on board who would love to be able to go back and say, well, look, we, we, we maybe we didn't repeal Obamacare, but we took out a huge chunk of it. And we were able to start that process. And you're able to, as you say, get some deficit savings, even if they're kind of more on paper than anything else. And they're, reminder, they're up against their own clock here. They have said that yeah. they want this done the, by the end of the year. The president has promised the American people a big, beautiful tax plan. He's going to sign the bill as a Christmas present. Look, the House is likely to move forward and, and at least vote on their, their bill as soon as tomorrow, as soon as Thursday. The Senate then is hoping to move forward with their version uh, the week after Thanksgiving. But there are huge differences between this. And the differences just got bigger because the House version does not include a repeal of the individual mandate. Reconciling these two versions and trying to do so in just a few weeks, just really, you know, I think you've got just over 10 working days on the calendar when both the House and Senate are in session to try and go through conference. It's a huge challenge. I will say there's already some talk. I've talked with some Senate Republicans who say they should stick around. They should stay in 
in town and work through Thanksgiving week. One member told me yesterday, look, Thanksgiving is or, turkey's just as good cold. And he's willing <laughs> to have some leftovers. He's willing to not have the big, beautiful meal if it means getting a big, beautiful tax cut. Yeah. And you, of course, you also have uh, a DACA fix on the on the agenda potentially oh, the before Christmas. The, uh, the, the, sorry, Mary, you live this. I'm sorry to bring it up. Yeah, you're, you're, you're just like rubbing salt down. in the wounds like, over here. <laughs> cue the list. We got it. We got the list. All right. You're here. a little grinchy today. Ah, uh, you know it. You know it. Well, Mary, we appreciate uh, we appreciate you being here. And uh, thank you. And, and and help us out as always. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Our thanks to our ace producing team, Avery Miller, Megan Hughes, Dave Ryan, Justin Coleman, among them. Uh, we hope you go on iTunes and leave a review for the show. It helps other people discover the show. You can leave a positive review or even a negative review. And if it's a negative review, make sure you tag John Carl very <laughs> prominently in that. Uh, we will be back soon with another edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll bring you a special edition, actually, uh, in the coming days with some voices from the resistance, some of the unlikely folks who uh, came off the sidelines and got involved in politics for the first time. Very excited about that episode. Until then, though, thank you for listening and click back next time.